You're listening to Roots, Everyone Has a Story. I'm your host, Mike Scazzari. In this first-of-its-kind podcast, I will talk to everyday family researchers and dive into their own family history and talk about their incredible stories. We'll talk about things like love, loss, traditions, perseverance, and more. And no matter who the guest is, our conversations will be intriguing and will leave you wanting to come back for more. To learn more about the show, please visit www.rootseveryonehasastory.com. And if you have questions, comments, or feedback, please email me at roots.everyonehasastory at gmail.com. Hi, everybody. Happy New Year, and thanks for joining me on another episode of Roots Everyone Has a Story. Today, I'm speaking to Dana Pope. Dana is a Texas-based researcher whose great-grandmother, Maddie, was an unbelievable character. We talk about a rags-to-riches story that involves multiple marriages and relationships for Maddie, the ups and downs of life, some hotel fortunes, and how DNA eventually helped shape the research around finding out who Dana's actual great-grandfather was. This story is absolutely fascinating and contains an incredible amount of detail that Dana was able to use the Leeds DNA method to help figure out who her actual great-grandfather was. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dana. And as always, if you have a story you'd like to share or you know of someone that has a story that would be great for the show, please visit my brand new website. It's rootseveryonehasastory.com or you can email me at rootseveryonehasastory at gmail.com. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hi, Dana. Welcome to the show. Happy New Year. Happy I'm New glad Year to, to you. Be here. Glad to have you. So, Dana, I know we've we've talked a lot about this crazy family of yours and we're we're going to get into it. There's a lot of characters that come into play here and we're going to do our best to keep it organized and straight and and not super confusing because God knows I have a lot of notes next to me just trying to figure out who all these people are. So, we're going to we're <laughs> we're going to get into it in a minute, but you know, my favorite question to ask everybody when we start these things is what made you get into researching your family? I guess I had always been, um, somewhat interested, but, um, there was a plan for a family reunion on my father's side. Okay. My great grandfather had 15 children And for many years, they met on his birthday, but then for maybe 20, almost 30 years, there had been no reunion. And so there was a planned reunion. And uh, I thought, well, I should make a family tree for that. So I joined Ancestry and began to work on the family tree. We knew a couple of years ahead that we were going to do this. And so... Uh, I made a family tree for that, and then I got really hooked on it, and my tree now has, I think, nearly 10,000 people. (laughs) No, just a few, just a few cousins. Yeah, it's made a very good hobby for me. Um, I I was retired at the time already, so uh, it's been a very good hobby for me to keep my mind occupied. Right. And, now tell me, so you, you know, you have this family reunion coming up. Was anybody asking about family information or was this 
totally organic that you said, you know what, we're doing a reunion. I want to be the one that shows up with the family tree for everybody. Um, the people in the planning group felt like people would be very interested in that, and they were very supportive that I was doing it okay. and seemed excited about it. And I actually made a little um, handout uh, for each person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, people seemed very, very appreciative of that, that it was in print form and, you know, they knew who was who. There was a lot of interest uh, in particular because an uncle had passed away and left a legacy to most of these people. Okay. So to the target group was actually about 500 people, but wow. I would say the number of people who actually inherited <clears throat> was probably um, around a hundred, maybe. Wow. Um, but, but that's because if your father was living, he would inherit and not you. Right. And so uh, every everybody was interested and everybody was seemed very supportive of doing it. And it was a little bit of a false start because, of course, at this point, not that many people are interested. <laughs> right. And how long ago was this? So how many years ago did you first start? Uh, it was about in 2009. Okay. All right. So you have uh, almost 15 years under your belt at this point. So now how did you, how did you get started? So you, you said you went to Ancestry. Did you have, like, if we go back to your childhood, who was around you? Did you have base knowledge from your parents, from your grandparents, or were you really starting and walking into this blind, blindly? No, no. Um, I grew up in a small town, okay. and not only did my father's parents live there, um, most of his siblings lived fairly nearby. Okay. So that on a Sunday, it would be uh, very common for a group of, say, five. Uh, he had five siblings. Okay. It would be very common for most of his siblings to be there on a Sunday afternoon. Okay. My grandmother lived in Fort Worth and uh, has very deep, had very deep Fort Worth roots, Mm -hmm. but um, she did not move out to the small town until I was about in the fifth grade. Okay. But my mother was ill from the time I was born. And at that point, my grandfather had passed away And so it seemed to make sense that she would come out and uh, help our family. She bought a home about two doors away. Okay. And I was always very, very close to my grandmother. Okay. And there must have been stories flying all the time, but I wasn't as attentive as I should have been. You know, it's one of those things we all kick ourselves about that we should have paid more attention. I think we all wish we could go back, even if it was for five minutes, just to hear the stories that were flying around the table. Okay, okay we've got five minutes now. Tell me everything. Right, right. <laughs> please please give me all the information. We have five minutes go. Um, it's funny. I, I, I tell this story all the time. There's a picture of uh, one of my great uncles who I knew um, with two of his older brothers who I... I knew, but I was very young when they passed away. Like they would have known me as a, as a toddler basically, but this picture of them sitting on the, on the table in front of them is a family tree. 
and I have a copy of the family tree, which was given to me years later. But I always look at that picture and I go, geez, what were they talking about? Because you know, you know, family history was at the center of it because the family tree is sitting in front of them. So I think, I think we're, we're all there with each other as far as genealogy people that if you could have five minutes with anybody, just you give anything for it. Right. Crazy. Okay. So you, so you grow up with a lot of family around you. We fast forward through your whole life, basically. You're retired now and you're getting ready for this family reunion. You start doing the research and, and, and putting it all together. Was there one thing going into, the, into your research that you were... Did you have a goal in mind? Were you trying to find out anything specific or were you just trying to build out a the most comprehensive family tree you could you could get your hands on? At that time, the most exciting thing that was going on with my research is that <clears throat> we're, we're connected to the fullers on the Mayflower. Okay. And uh, as wind of that got throughout the family, uh, that's one of the reasons I think they were very interested to see the connection on paper. Okay that my father's family is is connected to the Mayflower. Okay. But, no, I didn't really have any specific goal other than to try to collect all this information because my great-grandfather on my father's side had 15 children. That's a lot. That's a lot of kids. two of his daughters had more than 12 children themselves. Wow. So, um just to just to get it all down on paper was a pretty big thing. Yeah, that's a, that's and a big family tree. And they had all close to each other. Okay. Uh, all of these cousins uh, were were very close to each other. So. Okay. Uh, all right. So you you obviously anybody, have a big tree to start with, which is which is good. Fifteen kids. Uh, yes. Some of the fifteen have twelve each. I mean, you're dealing with a lot of people already. So as you start this, I know you kind of mentioned your dad's side dates back to the Mayflower, which is great. But the stories we're going to get into today are actually on your mother's side of the family. That's right. Um, And I really have never done uh, as much work on that side of the family because for a long time it seemed... uh, pretty cut and dried. Mm -hmm. I got very, very interested in um, my quote, great grandfather, because he was a very interesting character. Right. But as time went on, I began to have more and more doubts about the timeline for my great, great grandparents. Okay. And so my great grandmother's mother was Martha Jane, always went by Maddie, and she was uh, Fred Daly and Mary Ward's daughter. Okay, so we're dealing, we're dealing with was some... fresh off the boat as a, a German. Mm-hmm. Daly doesn't seem like a... It seems like more of an Irish name, but right. it's a German name. Right. And um, she grew up in a fairly affluent home because Fred was unlike everybody else of that generation. He was not a farmer. He was a hotelier. Okay. And uh, 
his family after the Civil War. He was in the Civil War as a Union soldier, and then he had a number of hotels, uh, two of which were rather large hotels in uh, Kansas. You're in the Kansas census. Okay. And then he comes down to Fort Worth and ha- and runs a hotel in um, the, I guess you'd call it the Tenderloin District. They called it Hell's Half Acre. <laughs> and it was one of those hotels where perhaps you didn't need to be alone. Okay. And, um, but it it gave them an, an affluence that even sent my great-grandmother, Maddie, to finishing school. Okay. Whose grandmother went to finishing school. And the reason I know that that's a true story is that we have sheet music from where she was taught piano, and we have a lot of embroidery Wow. where she was needlework. Wow. And of course these were the skills you needed. Sure. Uh, <laughs> to be a successful lady of the time. Of course. And that I mean that's those are cool heirlooms just to have on their own because there's a story attached oh, to absolutely. those. Absolutely. I framed them all. Oh I I would too. I mean I have plenty of things in my house that are old artifacts and things. I have a passport that's framed different things because that stuff is it's amazing when you when you just look at it, it's amazing that it even survived this long. When you think about yeah. you know, the way people lived and they all, moved all the and, moves that it's been through, even just with our family. Right. <laughs> right. In fact, it's funny when um after my grandfather passed away, yeah, we're cleaning out some stuff and you know, being the family researcher, I've I always joke that I'm I'm the archives of the family, right? If they find anything old, they give it to Mike and he'll just store it and, and take care of it. Well, one of the things he had that he never showed me for all the years I was doing my research is he had his grandfather's passport from when they came to America in 1920. Uh, never thought oh to show it to me. And it's on the, I'm looking at it now. It's on the wall here. But it's one of those things like I shake my head and go, I wish he would have shown me then because we could have talked about it. Not that he would have much to say about it. But it would have been nice to at least have that conversation. But it's something. I oh, mean, absolutely. now it's a hundred. It's a hundred and four years old, and it. I mean, it's crazy when you think about it that these things survived the test of time. So, very cool stuff. So, all right, Dana. So let's. We're talking about Maddie. You you, you talked about her a little bit. Let's get into Maddie because this is this is <laughs> quite a character. And for those that are listening, I'm not joking when I tell you I have a whole sheet of notes next to me just to keep this story straight because credit to Dana for the kind of research she's done because this gets a little bit dicey. It gets a little bit confusing with who's who and there's kids involved and you know people in and out of her life and all that. So, so Maddie is your, is your great-grandmother. Right, and she marries when she's a teenager into uh, a very wealthy ranching and hotel family. Okay, the Driscolls. Okay, and we had always thought that this was maybe just an embellishment that she, but she had told each daughter the same story, and we thought maybe there's a little bit of credence to that. And so, just before we planned this uh, podcast. 
I found a marriage record in San Antonio for her marriage to a Driscoll okay. by the district bishop hmm. of the Episcopal Church, okay. which lent credence to the story because the Driscoll family was well-to-do. It wasn't just going to be your ordinary priest of the Episcopal Church who married them. Right. It was the district bishop. But then I found nothing else about the Driscolls. Hmm. And the story in the family was that he caught a fever on their honeymoon, which was a trip into uh, to New Orleans, okay. into Louisiana, and that he passed away. But his name was always mentioned among uh, her other spouses, saying that, if a man turned to drink, she would run him off. Wow. And she did not abide drink. Okay. Well, listen. So everybody has their quibbles. <laughs> Everybody's got their thing. So, all right. So she's the... She's we, the know, we know almost nothing about Maddie until she... Uh, there's a divorce in Dallas of Radican. Okay. Radican is a very interesting character. He's in the Civil War on the Confederate side. Okay, he's so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pause for a second there because that's that's interesting because he's on the Confederate side. Maddie's father, for those that are following along, was a Union soldier. Yes. So it must have made dinner dinner conversation quite interesting. I mean, listen, it's it's one of those things we talk about opposing politics right now. I can't imagine if first of all, I wonder if they even sat together or if this was like uh, <laughs> I I don't even want to know them. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. Stay over there. You, you have no idea what those conversations were like. Right. Right. All right. So we go but, so Matt uh, so Maddie's the daughter of of Fred Daly. He's a he's a union soldier, a hotelier. She marries this first guy, Driscoll, who's also ho- a hotelier. Interesting connection there. Maybe, you know, there's something there. He passes away on their honeymoon, supposedly. We haven't found anything to, to back this right. up. He just disappears, we're going to say. He's supposedly dead. Right. We're not even sure. And then we enter Radican, John Radican. So let's, let's he, talk about him. Um, I don't think he was well educated, but he was a very ambitious and intelligent man. Okay. And he began to build railroads. Okay. He built uh, a lot of railroads from East Texas into the Dallas area. Uh, In Fort Worth, he paved a number of the streets. uh, And all this is verifiable by city contracts. He uh, ran the line for the trolley. He paved Dallas streets. Uh, there was a particular overpass for the railroad uh, called the Mixmaster when I was growing up. Okay. And my grandmother would say, oh, my dad built this. Wow. And he, uh, his partner in doing most of this was a, a very important engineer in Texas who was even given the contract for building the Galveston seawall wow. after the uh, after the big hurricane? Okay, but Radican uh, fortunes improved. 
He's in the newspaper almost every day, it seemed like. Wow. For a while. Uh, giving a con having been given a contract on this, that, or the other. And one of the last thing last mentions of him uh, as having a contract is he gets a contract for building a railroad in Mexico. Okay. And he goes completely bust mm. trying to do that. Okay. Rags to riches and then riches to rags. And one of the things that happens to them, he and Maddie, and they have built uh, apparently a whole like subdivision of very nice homes, and they occupy one of these uh, rather grand homes. It wouldn't be grand by today's standards. Right, but, but for the time. It was. It had a servant's quarters mm -hmm. in the rear and so on. But he, um, he goes bust, and they try to put a loan on their house for $2,500, <laughs> and you can't do that in Texas at that time. They wouldn't let you put a mortgage on your homestead. Right. And so it's uh, clear from the court documents, this makes it all the way to the uh, appeals court for the uh, southwestern region. It's published, and a lot of testimony is given even in that appeals court and Radican must have been ladies man because even when he first comes to Fort Worth he's followed there by a lady named Anna Kelly okay and Anna nice. Kelly's children bear the name Radican there's Kate Radican and her brother James Radican now, do we and, know as we as we talk about that she follows him? Is there history there? Is this are these his children? Do we know? They come from St. Louis. Okay. And Kate is uh, older than Radican's other children, so and James is somewhat younger than Kate, so they must have been together for a number of years. When he comes to Dallas, he marries the lady Bridget Boyle and has two sons with her. Okay. Then he, there's an actual legal divorce from Bridget Boyle. Wow. And just after the divorce of Bridget Boyle is the first of Maddie's children with Radican, Stella, and my grandmother's older sister, Stella, Interesting story about Stella, but I'll skip it. <laughs> There's uh, Hortense, and Stella and Hortense in Fort Worth become pretty much like socialites, okay. debutantes. Okay. They're in the newspaper of their own right. They're going to Catholic school. They uh, Hortense is known as a flapper. Interesting. If there was such a thing. Right. Almost. Sign of the times. Um, and, uh, but then for some reason, unknown, everything's going downhill financially. Mm -hmm. They're, uh, they've turned this house over to Fred Daly to try to draw money on it. Okay. And, 
everything after that is any the there are lawsuits between Daly or Maddie or both against Radigan trying to prove the title of that home. But in the testimony, Kate Radigan says that Maddie left the home in about 1891. Okay. And in 1891, she turns up in San Antonio, uh, where there are a lot of wards. Her mother was Mary Ward. Okay. A lot of ward family there. Okay. And she is running a boarding house just across from the railroad station. Okay. So now let's have an actual business card from that. Okay. The Southern Pacific Hotel. Okay. So let's pause for one second because there's, there's a lot that just happened in that little bit of a story. So you have John Radican, who is Maddie's husband, will call him. There's a legal divorce. Right. There's a, there's a divorce, but there's no marriage record that we found. So we're, we'll call right. him. I haven't found that. Right. So we're going to call him a husband in quotes, but we'll, you know, we're going to assume maybe the record was just lost. We don't know. So there's some stuff going on between John Radican and his his daughter Kate is involved, which is from this woman that followed him along. She comes from Anna Kelly. So she takes the name Radican, the daughter. We assume the daughter, unless they're just trying to tag on to him and say, you're the dad. Maybe he's not the dad. We're not even sure. But there's there's stuff between John and this Kate Radican against Maddie, who he eventually divorces in quotes and Maddie's father. So now we're, we're going John, the son-in-law who was the, you know, in the civil war, his father-in-law was on the union side. We talked about dinner probably wasn't good. Now there's now we're suing each other over, over the house basically. And Kate is saying, listen, my, my dad in quotes, John Radican was with Maddie. Maddie left. She's now somewhere else running a boarding house. Right. Okay. So let's let's talk about the boarding house. She's in a town where it sounds like it may be some family on her mother's side, which is Fred Daly's wife. He's the Union soldier, hotelier guy. Maybe there's some from family there that she's hanging out with, but either way, she starts this boarding house. And take us through... This is the city directory. Okay. So city directories play a lot of uh, part in my research. Okay. Um, Ancestry doesn't have them year by year by year by year. But the uh, library in San Antonio had more of them on microfilm. And uh, she seems to have had this boarding house at least through about 1895 or so. Okay. And I just record all this information. It really sort of vaguely bothers me a bit. But at one point, I think, you know, this really doesn't add up. And so I made a timeline of Maddie and thought, there's a good chance here that my grandmother has a different father. Right. And even though she has always claimed to be the daughter of Radican and her sisters, who are known to be the daughter of Radican, are known as much as you can know it, 
Um, and you're talking in this case about Stella and Hortense, right? Right. Okay. And so Hortense has a grandson, and he takes a DNA test for me. And I trace from Kate Radican down to a living descendant, and I make a tree for her and sort of befriend her. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, after a long-term friendship, maybe she will agree to do DNA testing. Right. But in almost the first call that I have with this lady, she says, I would give anything if I could DNA test. Hmm. And I'm thinking, really? And so I send her the test, but I, you know, I am the manager of that test. Right. And sure enough, she matches my cousin by Hortense. And she does not match me. Okay. So what does that mean? Let's let's back up for a second. So what does that actually oh, prove I in this moment? I get the feeling that she is definitely a descendant of, of Radican. It's pretty clear right. that she is a descendant of Radican. And it's also clear that Radican must have been Hortense's father. Okay. But he's not Ruth's father. Because there's no... DNA from you to this right. cousin. Right. So at that time, I'm at a complete, absolute loss because I'm thinking, here's a lady with a boarding house across from the railroad station, and it could literally be anybody. I mean, it uh, could be anybody. Anybody that popped off the train and needed a bed? Could have been there. That's so right. it could have been hundreds and of different One reason people. that I leapt to that conclusion is that in 1900, mm -hmm. uh, she's running a boarding house again in Fort Worth. And notice that she's gone from being the lady of the manor, so to speak, to running her own boarding house. And, you know, somebody washes and changes those sheets and somebody fixes two or three meals a day. They pulled my grandmother out of school at third grade to be a helper okay. in doing all this. But she lands on her feet, so to speak, in that she takes care of those kids. Mm -hmm. She raises her, her daughters and her, and in the boarding house in 1900 is a fellow called Tobe Guard. Okay. And there's a lot of uh, beef butchery and pig butchery going on in Fort Worth. And he works at, in the in the butchery. And but he goes back to his small town just west of Fort Worth and quickly marries someone else and there's no acknowledgement of the baby that he leaves behind, who is Tobegard Jr. But she immediately gives him the name of his father, Martin Luther Tobegard Jr. And she takes Tobegard's name and is known for the next 40 years or so 
as Mrs. Guard. Okay. So let's we're we're going to pause for a second. So now <laughs> we have Maddie and I'm trying to keep this super straight for everybody cuz this is this is wild. So we have Maddie. She married Driscoll who was, you know, this this it was a teenage marriage. He supposedly died on his honeymoon. You know, we talked about that. John Radican comes in and out of her life. He comes with Stella and Hortense. At some point, your grandmother Ruth pops in the picture. We're not really sure about fathers yet because she thought she was Radican's, but she could be somebody else. And now we're on to Maddie's third partner, which is Tobe Guard. It looks like Toby, but it's pronounced Tobe Guard, which I think is interesting. Interesting pronunciation. And it appears that Tobe Guard and Maddie have a child together named Tobe Guard Jr. Take it away. And Tobe uh, is kind of an interesting guy because he he knows that his father he knows he learns where his father is living, mm-hmm. and he tries to make contact with him. And uh, the father finally relents and says that he will meet him at a bar in between Fort Worth and the town that he lives in, in in another town called Ranger, little bitty West Texas town. And Tobe goes to this bar, and he's immediately set on by a group of men who are friends of Tobe Guard Sr., and they say, you know, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to get out of this guy? And Tobe says, you know, I don't want anything from him. I just want to meet him. And they almost beat him lifeless. Wow. And his wife is along and she says, what are you trying to do? And she said, I, he's, or he tells her, I just want word to get back to my dad that I'm one tough little son of a gun. Okay. So he shows up at the bar to meet his dad. Now, this is obviously years later. He's a grown man. He shows up at the bar to meet his dad. Sounds like his dad's not there, but his dad's friends are all there going, what do you want with our friend? Who do you think you are? What do you think is going on here? He just wants to meet his dad and, and I guess establish some kind of connection with him. Doesn't happen. And instead, his dad's friends beat him up. And he's trying to prove now that he's tough to get his father's approval, whatever it is. Right. And um, Tobe goes on to be a successful person. Okay. And, you know, has daughters and so on. Mm-hmm. But when he finds a news report that his father has passed and there's going to be a funeral, then he tries to attend that funeral and he's ejected. Wow. And he's called an imposter. Wow. He's an imposter. And fast forward so that Tobe Guard Jr.'s grandson takes a DNA test and he uh, is rebuffed by a couple of people who said, this is probably true, but we're we're not ready to admit that. Right. And then later they are there is another phone call a couple of years later from a guy who says, Okay, 
we're obviously DNA related and it's because Togard Sr. had a liaison with your mother. Right. So, and they become friends. So that's the, that's the end of the Togard story, I guess. But I'm still left with this burning question, you know, who is the father? And meanwhile, I've gotten into DNA. I have, I guess, 10 different kits that I manage. Okay. And I, you know, have read the books and I belong to genetic genealogists on Facebook. Right. I begin to think, well, you know, I'm probably beyond that. I probably have waited too late because my mind doesn't work like it used to. And there's probably more to doing this than I'm able to manage. But I decide that I am going to try the leads method because that seems to be a place where a lot of people begin. Right. And I know I have a leg up on that because as I, uh, I was lucky because when I started Ancestry, there was no DNA. Right. And everybody who was on Ancestry was looking for ancestors and they usually made trees. Right. There was no point in being on Ancestry if you weren't going to have a tree. Correct. So as, and after a while, they would begin to give you common ancestors. Mm-hmm. And I and they began the dot system. Okay. So I had begun to dot all of my ancestors, common ancestors. And I would, you know, try to figure out with trees or one thing and another and try to, try to work out, you know, where, what line this person probably was related to me. Right. So that in the leads method... You're going to first usually make a, a spreadsheet, and I'm really terrible at spreadsheets. <laughs> That's but I okay. have a son who does that for a living. And so I made a spreadsheet, the simplest kind, and I'm, I use the leads method, which says to go down to about 400. You don't want your most related to people, but skip down to about between 400 or so and I ended up with a lot of matches as I'm looking on here. I think the greatest one was probably in the 200s. Okay. And we're talking about centimorgans so at this point. With people who not only were from a couple, the daily line mm-hmm. coupled with, say, the Radican line. Right. Only I knew it wasn't Radican. Right. And I began to realize that there was this little cluster. I did some clustering on my heritage. I did it on uh, a Jed match. Mm-hmm. And so I had an idea that I had this this group of people who had between 200 and 100 Cinnamorgans. And I had no idea why. And so I thought to myself, bingo. I think these people are probably those people. And as I began to work on, one of them had a really good tree. So I had a lot of luck in that I had these matches and one had a really good tree. Okay. And I knew that they were related by place, these matches. 
And so it was easy to connect them, to connect those matches together. And they all centered around a little bitty town in Mississippi. Okay. And they seemed to, the, the men in that family seemed to have been successful merchants in the old days. And okay. they had become bankers and uh, were all successful businessmen. Mm-hmm. And so on this leads chart where I had made colors, I had just, I think there were oh, probably eight or 10 of these matches. And I thought, this doesn't make any sense at all. How would some farmer or even if he was a merchant, you know, from this little bitty town in Mississippi, mm-hmm. How would they ever have gotten to Texas, to San Antonio, and been the father of my grandmother? Right. And so the first thing I did was I looked at census records. Okay. And sure enough, one of them was in Texas. Hmm. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I wonder if they were in San Antonio. So I go to the city directories. Good idea. One of them, the brother of this fellow that I was searching for, the younger brother, and I can just see this. They were sick of that little Mississippi town, and they mm-hmm. didn't want to work in Daddy's store. Right, right. And they run off to Texas for probably a short time. Mm-hmm. And one of them is literally living in the Southern Pacific Hotel, and he is said to work for the railroad. And he became a lifelong railroad employee. Okay. But he's living at the time, my grand, around the time my grandmother was born, he was living with my great-grandmother's boarding house, living in it. And as far as I'm concerned, I, I think I found him out of all the people in the world. Right, right. I think that he is probably my uh, grandmother's father. Father. Okay. And otherwise, I really would have no way to explain why I have more Cinemorgans with a couple of the people in this group of matches than I do with my known grandson of Tobe Guard, who is my grandmother's half-brother. Right. Right. So... I can't explain that in any other way other than that we are related at the great grandfather. Right. And it would make sense because if you're, if you're descended from the same two parents, you know, your grandmother, you're going to have more DNA than somebody who's a half sibling. That's just that, that's the beauty of DNA and how DNA works. Right. And I, I, I think you did. I mean, first of all, congratulations on even figuring this out because we're talking about a mystery that's 120 something years old at this point. So this is, this is going way far back and trying to, it's, it's hard enough to get DNA sampling and research to make a connection for something like this, that, you know, your grandmother was born in 1894. So, you know, we're going way, way back, but the fact that you, are also able to layer in some circumstantial stuff with somebody living in the same building as your your grandmother's mother 
I mean, it just it's an it adds an extra layer that most people aren't able to get. So that I mean, that has to be an amazing feeling for you. Yeah, I was uh, I was feeling really pretty sassy about this. As I you should. Had solved over the summer another uh, brick wall that I had, and I solved this one, and then I realized now I have a whole family in Mississippi that I know nothing about. Isn't that the beauty and of genealogy? I, I need to get busy and uh, try to understand more about them. And uh, the other brick wall that I solved was my uh, third time's great-grandfather in uh, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And, and I solved that with some records on family search where they were experimenting with OCR. Okay. And their OCR experiments, it was a burned county. There was almost nothing left except uh, the the two times great-grandfather had always said he was an orphan. And the only thing left in that county was the county clerk going every year and accounting for what was done with these orphans. And one of them was my second time's great grandfather. Now you are very, very lucky that that most people, most people, those would be the records that burned. So the fact that those are the only records that survived are, it's incredible for you. Now let's back up for a second. So which, and I felt really, uh, sassy and sort of smart sure until i realized who was his mother mm-hmm. how did he have custody of these it turned out he had two siblings that i knew nothing about wow how did how did the father have custody of those kids what had happened to the mother and who the heck is the mother so there's plenty left ahead for me to do I, I can't shut the book and say, well, I'm already done. Well, listen, I think I, I said it on just about every episode here, but you're, you're never done with your research. It's especially in cases like this, you're thinking like, all right, I'm going to find out, you know, who Ruth's father is and, and hopefully, you know, get a name to it. But you're not thinking that, oh man, if I find him now, I have a whole nother branch of people to research. I mean, you're just, you're, 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 we're never done. I mean, that's just, that's one of those things that the research as time goes on, you know, the more records that are put out there, the more stuff there is to capture because it's, it's, it's unbelievable what, what Ancestry has done, what sites like GEDmatch and Family Search and, and all these, all these different companies have just made it, such a wonderful hobby for everybody. And you really, you, you can't collect it all because it's just, it's, it's unbelievable how much is out there. I think, uh, I tell people all the time, you know, that it's exciting and mm-hmm. they sort of look at me askance, but uh, it is amazing what they ha- have done and how fast they've done it yes. with DNA and I noticed, I watched uh, Finding Your Roots mm-hmm. last night, mm-hmm. and Cece had done something similar uh, to what I had done. Right. Although she had to construct a lot of trees, mm-hmm. I was so fortunate that one of my 
suspect matches had a really good tree. But uh, it's not impossible anymore. No, it's not. And the more, the more. I, I was convinced that it was totally impossible for me to ever know. No, and that's one thing. It's one thing I think people need to understand as, as time goes on and there's more people that do their DNA and listen, we're at a perfect time of year. I mean, Christmas was a couple weeks ago. There's a lot of DNA tests that are given for Christmas gifts. So as we enter into the, the later months of winter and into the early spring, you're going to start to see a lot of people pop up on your results. And these are, these are new people to the ancestry database. So the more people that, come in and, and test. And I, you know, I think, I think the joke is very much like the commercial, you know, you take the test, you want to know, am I really Irish or am I something else? You know, you see these commercials, right? These people grow up thinking they're Italian and it turns out they're Irish or they think they're Irish and they find out they're French. You know, there's a lot of that that happens, but then there's also the, the researchers on ancestry who are waiting to connect the dots with, with relatives. And I think that part goes very much, unseen in terms of just the way the advertising is, right? You're not, they're not telling people find your relatives. They're telling people find out if you're Irish and the the relative piece of it is just a whole nother layer that I think people are usually pretty genuinely surprised by that. They actually have relatives out there that are, are researching their family and that they're, they're already on ancestry basically waiting for them. I would have uh, believed that I'll never find my uh, three times great grandmother. Right. But at this point, I think it's possible. Sure. I don't think it's likely, perhaps, but it's possible. And if if I stay alert and if I stay healthy, I think I probably will find that person. Yeah, you, I'm sure and it you, will I'm... be. DNA. I'm sure you can. And if nothing else, you may find a descendant of somebody who is able to help you put the story together. I'll give you, I'll give you a perfect example. And it, you know, I, I, I don't like to talk too much about my own research when we're, we're chatting, but it's one of those things. When my wife did her research on 23andMe, she got a match with someone who we really didn't understand who they were. And she, she messaged this person that said, my wife has, um, she's partially Hungarian through her great-grandmother. And this person had, had Hungarian roots as well. And my wife knew her great-grandmother. She died when she was a child. She knew her sister who died, you know, when my wife was a little bit older in 2001 or 2002, somewhere around there. So she knew, you know, the two sisters that had come from Hungary. Well, turns out this person that matched my wife on 23andMe is the grandson or the great-grandson of another sister that nobody knew about because she never left Hungary. And he was able, you know, not to provide photos or anything, but stories and say, listen, my great-grandmother, or whatever she was to him, grandmother or something, was named Maria, and she lived in the town her whole life, and she had these two sisters that went to America, and they were able to put it all together. And we, you know, that was, that was all through 23andMe, with a story that was, that was passed down. So you definitely, you know, you definitely have the ability to, to do it because all you need is one person. I have to credit um, the archives and mm-hmm. the people who maintain 
all the print records. Oh, yeah. Uh, because that gives you some satisfaction that you've, you haven't just probably found something. It's, there are documents. Oh, sure. To support that you have found it. So, uh, between the DNA, uh, database is growing so large. Right. And the archivists can make it easier and easier for us to access records. Right. Uh, and I think, I think things are possible and I hope that people who are seeking, and it's not everybody. Right. Some people just want to know if they're Irish. Right. But for those of you seeking, don't give up. And the Dana Leeds method is a good place to start. Yeah, I think, and I, I you know, I, I want to thank you for talking about it because DNA is a little intimidating for a lot of people. Because once you start dropping words like centimorgans, people, you, you kind of see their eyebrows go up and go, oh, wait, what? We're going to talk about science now? And all it basically is, when I, when I try to boil it down for people and explain, if you think of a pie, you're just looking at how many pieces of the pie do you share with different parts of your family. That's all we're, we're getting in. Don't get hung up on the names. Don't get hung up on terminology. Think about, you know, and it, it, DNA is weird because when you start to look at it, you're not, you don't have exactly 50% from your mother and your father the way people think you do. Like it, it, it does get technical and it, it does kind of scare people away. But when I tell them, I'm like, all right, listen, if you, if you do go on the notion that you have 50% from your mother and 50% from your dad, all you're looking at is then how much do you have in common with a cousin or a second cousin or a third cousin? And it all is, it's just percentages is what we're looking at. And I think, you know, all these tools, there's a lot of great tools out there where you can upload your DNA and it really helps you digest the information because, you know, you talked about the dot system that Ancestry had for a while where you could color code people and say, all right, the green dot is for my dad's dad's family and the pink dot is for my mom's mom's family. There's a lot of different things that they've introduced through the years which help, but it's, it's something where I think people need to just dive into it, take their DNA, don't be scared about it, and, and see what happens because there's... You know, a lot of this show, I feel like, is going to end up boiling back down to DNA because there's a lot of things. It's one of the greatest tools we've received as genealogists is is able to to run our DNA and and see and you you not only see the results, but you're able to prove a lot of times the paper trails that listen. They can be a little funny. You could write, you know, I have people in my family. They listed somebody as their father. He's not their father. But they wrote on the record, he's my dad. And there was nobody to go, well, prove it. They just said, all right, I'm going to say that you're my dad, wrote it down, and that's what's in the record. But the DNA proves otherwise. And it, it's something where I just, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm just so happy that we've, we've introduced DNA into all this because it, it, stories like this is a perfect reason for, for why everybody should test. I agree. I don't think um, I don't think my cousins, you know, would have agreed that he wasn't the father just because of the timeline, right? But just because I could show she did she didn't leave. I right. mean, she didn't live in the family home, right? Uh, 
but DNA, to me, it doesn't lie. No, I mean, it does. And I, it's funny because I've had people, you know, in, in my family or friends, you know, whoever it is, and we've talked about it, and they go, well, you know, and they, and they kind of doubt it. I'm like, listen, you could doubt all the records you want. You, you want to debate the marriage records, if the, if the information on them is correct, the birth records, the death records. DNA cannot be debated because it's, it's literally what's in our blood. It's what we are carrying with us from our ancestors. So it's, it's one of those things where, you know, as, as time goes on, it's, uh, you know, it's just been a, it's been a great tool and it really lets people, you know, understand who their, who their family is. Well, thanks for letting me tell my story. Absolutely. And I hope that it encourages people with these brick walls or whatever uh, they want to call them. I hope it encourages them to try to solve it. I think you can do it. I think, I think we all can do it. So Dana, thank you very much. This has been a, a wonderful conversation and uh, good luck. Keep in touch. I, I, I would love to know if you find anything else out. All right. I'll let you know. All right. Have a good one. All right. Thanks for being on the show. Take care. Thanks again for listening to today's show. As always, if you or someone you know has an interesting story or would like to talk about your research findings, please visit www.rootseveryonehasastory.com or email rootseveryonehasastory at gmail.com. You can also follow the show on both Facebook and Instagram at Roots Everyone Has a Story and listen on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. This show and its music is written and produced by my dad, Mike Scazzeri. Thanks again for listening.